Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 215. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy and co-founder of the Lend at Fintech conference. Today's episode is sponsored by Lend at Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging and Lend at Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts and get business done. Lend at Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com USA to register. Today on the show, I am delighted to welcome back Nat Hoops. He is the Executive Director of the Marketplace Lending Association, a position he has held for about three years now. And you know, we had him on the show just soon after he started in this role and wanted to get Nat back on because obviously the MLA has matured a lot uh, in the last three years. There's been a lot that's happened in Washington. Uh, wanted to get him on to talk about the successes the MLA has had, uh, what are the, some of the challenges as well, how it is to operate in the highly partisan era that we're in now in Washington. Uh, we talk about the FinTech Charter. We talk about the House Task Force on uh, Financial Technology. Uh, we talk about how he interfaces with the other trade associations that are, that are all in Washington. And, uh, and we also finally talk about the new pact that they have uh, created and much more, actually. It was a fascinating interview. Hope you enjoy the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Nat. Thank you, Peter. Happy to be back. All right. So, yes, I was just looking. It's been uh, it's been three years since we had you on. And I know we had you on in your very first month on the job uh, at the Marketplace Lending Association. So, this I know this month is your three year anniversary of uh, of taking this position. So, maybe you could just sort of start off with just sort of giving us how you feel like the the last three years have gone. I think they've gone as well as I think the founders, Lending Club, Prosper, and Funding Circle, uh, and I uh, could have hoped as we sort of set out on the journey to build an inclusive organization that is able to speak uh, in Washington and in state capitals on the benefits of marketplace lending to consumers, small businesses, current and uh, former students, and so forth. And that that uh, vision uh, has has really resulted in an organization that speaks with one voice on the issues uh, in public policy that really matter matter to everyone. Right, right, and you know I think it's it's also important that I mean you, know, you were a one man show for for a long long time, and I think it's uh, I think the industry uh, has uh, really benefited from your energy, and you've been able to bring in. Yeah, pretty much all the major the major players in in marketplace lending, and so maybe I guess was that how was that process to sort of was the industry really you know all supportive from day one, or how was the how was the process in in growing the marketplace lending association from three members to where it is today? And maybe you can just tell us exactly how how many members there are today. Sure. So we you know the the numbers do continue to grow, but I think we are on our thirty fifth. Um, member company, and there's always going to be a bit of fluctuation in trade associations as you know companies' interests or activities in Washington and in public policy shift and change over time. But uh, I think the the key genesis of the whole 
association was really the decision to recognize that there are a lot of technology-only uh, lenders that are really, you know, departing from some of the practices of former sort of non-bank financial institutions in the way that they approach consumers, target consumers uh, with opportunities, process applications, utilize technology, and then provide those credits to investors. So mm-hmm. I think once once everybody sort of recognized that that across the group that was to become the association of, of actual lenders and then obviously all the ecosystem, you know, participants like, you know, large companies like Experian or PricewaterhouseCoopers and others, that everyone was really aligned in wanting this industry to flourish and to do so in a way that didn't necessarily exclude models where the the consumer was inarguably being treated well with, a, you know, lower interest rate loans and simple terms that everyone could sort of understand and grapple with as they apply. Uh, and likewise, that that the model is really one where the capital markets and investors, both individuals and, and institutional investors, are the ones who are ultimately putting up the bulk of the funding. And mm-hmm. that that model, that sort of two-sided element, even though it's shifted and morphed and things have changed over time, that two-sided nature and the transparency that's required to make all that go is really kind of core to our mission in uh, in the association. Right, right. And I should also add that you know, the lender has been a big supporter and a member of the Mark Lessening Association pretty much from uh, from day one as well. Thank you, Peter. That's right. I, I shouldn't forget that. <laughs> that's okay. So then um, just one last question before we move on. One last question about the, sort of the, the, the history here. So as you look back over the last three years, maybe you could share with the listeners you know, some of the successes that you've had in your time here? So I think if you look at it, there are a couple of really big flashpoints. Number one, the, the, the association really launched in the heels of a really tough summer after, you know, the events at Lending Club in May of 2016. And there was a real need to kind of put some of, some of the rumors to rest about, you know, possible other shoes that would drop and to just steady overall the the approach with questions coming from reporters and questions coming from uh, public policy makers, you know, questions coming from Congress and so forth. So, you know, first I think the the role of the organization was to to be a public voice that didn't exist and to do that in a way that was responsible and effective and on time. And so that was an initial I think success in just you know bringing some stability to the overall views and not allowing some of the positive views of the industry to erode quick, too quickly in a difficult moment. And then you saw a few flashes with um, the Cleveland Federal Reserve you know, study that, that tried to link marketplace lending to some sort of abusive lending. And it turned out that the paper was just deeply flawed. And that was another example where you know, the industry really came together to do the research and, and and then use the MLA to to be a mouthpiece to really challenge the the flawed findings of that report and uh, eventually it was retracted uh, and there was an apology issued by the president of the Cleveland Fed and so that was just another I think uh, initial success and then finally you know we've had a couple of significant policy wins proposals in different states that have been beaten back and. a a win on uh, legislation with the IRS where uh, there's now a requirement that they build a real-time 
income verification uh, system to replace one that um, really was outdated and uh, has held back uh, the industry. So uh, that, those are some examples of things that we've tackled uh, at the association and, and also have just given a forum. Uh, you've participated, I think, in both of our first two annual CEO meetings, but to yep. provide a forum for the individual companies that are in the association to meet with the most important policymakers and to develop the relationships themselves. Because ultimately, this industry is still so small and the, and the member companies are small enough that they don't often have their own army of lobbyists or their own in-house lobbyists with a couple of exceptions. They, they really rely largely on the association to, to help provide that connection to um, policymakers. And so um, we've been able to do that as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, for sure. That's, that has, I know, been very, very useful for, for many of the companies and for the whole industry, I think, to have to have that sort of, it's one thing for a company to lobby a regulator or a lawmaker, but it's another thing for an industry. I think that's that really has helped tremendously. Maybe we should, we've talked about the successes, maybe we should talk about some of the things that, that haven't gone the way you wanted. And I know that, uh, yeah, there's been there's been some pieces of legislation that have uh, been introduced and gone nowhere. Uh, maybe maybe you should just at least touch on that the things that maybe you thought would have been successes but haven't been. Sure. Well, I think one of the areas that has certainly taken longer than anyone would have anticipated has been trying to tackle the negative fallout of the Madden versus Midland decision from 2015. Mm-hmm. You know that decision. Although it hasn't, you know, had an, an, a nationwide impact, it has had an impact on loans made above state usury caps in the three Second Circuit states, uh, and certainly has forced companies that rely on bank partnerships to shift and and the bank partners to shift in the way that they tackle that issue, and and certainly that's created major adverse consequences for consumers in the sense of lack of availability of credit initially following the decision and uh, you know a a real stark contrast to the continued growth in a, in other in other jurisdictions so that sort of finding in that decision was challenged by the Obama administration and the Democrats in charge of you know obviously prior to the 2016 election uh and then you know, you've seen continuity where uh, the Republican administration included in in the Treasury uh, fintech report a recommendation that that it be overturned. And you've seen co- bipartisan legislation introduced in both the House and the Senate, the last Congress, and and legislation passed the House to reverse it. So there's been no shortage of activity and you know, sort of education and thought leadership on why Madden was flawed and is creating negative consequences uh, in, in this jurisdiction, but uh, unfortunately there hasn't been sort of any real meaningful change from the standpoint of either uh, new legislation passed through Congress or a new regulation uh, coming from the OCC or the FDIC. So is that, I just would love to sort of um, maybe just touch on why. Um, is, it, is it because of the, there's, it's just not a high enough priority on, on these um, lawmakers' you know, to-do lists? Um, but, you know, obviously it's, it said it passed the House. Why, why, hasn't it, why haven't we had a bill? Yeah, well, I think it's, you know, the, the Senate is particularly difficult in general. These days I, I saw a statistic that so far this year, the Senate has only taken 19 total roll call votes on amendments. 
that was as of the summer. And in a typical year, you would have seen 200 votes, you know, as recently as 10 to 15 years ago. So there's just been a major slowdown in how much policy and, and legislative voting there is in the Senate. And that is, you know, been a bipartisan problem. When I was in the Senate, we complained about it all the time when Leader Harry Reid was in charge and now Mitch McConnell's in charge. And unfortunately, you don't see a lot more legislating going on. And it's just a reflection of of the the partisan nature of, of politics and, and just the way things have developed. And so there is, it's very difficult to get even non-controversial legislation done. Things that you think should happen quickly take a long time, and then things that are perhaps a bit more controversial, but you think deserve a vote, certainly an up or down vote, and think, you know, there ought to be a, a real chance of passage can can get bogged down very quickly. Yeah. Um, so that's part of it. Uh, but I don't think it's fair also to blame it entirely on the Senate. I think there's been uh, significant concerns raised that even though Marketplace Lending Association members partner with banks and uh, do so responsibly and issue lower APR, longer term uh, loans that are you know, clearly able to be repaid without a, a borrower falling into debt trap. There's concern on the part of certain advocates and others that if you know, Madden were reversed in legislation and a you know, clear certainty provided that, that that could become a loophole that less reputable market participants could use and therefore flout uh, state laws. Mm-hmm. So that concern has created enough controversy around the issue to make it a difficult one to legislate. However, I know that clearly the banking regulators, they've filed briefs in the original Madden case, and they, they certainly have an interest in making sure that banks can continue to sell loans and manage their portfolios and do so without being concerned that you know the, the people that might buy those loans might be non-banks and therefore that the loans could somehow not be valid. So I think that there's a real, still a high probability that there will be some action from Washington uh, on the issue. But your point about how high a priority is it, I think for the the large bank trade associations, the ABA, the Bank Policy Institute, or the community bankers, the ICBA, it isn't an issue that ranks in their top five. Uh, it's likely in their top ten. And if you saw a number of other decisions, it could it could uh, go up that up that uh, priority ranking, but that certainly has been part of it is that there isn't, there isn't a huge amount of industry pressure coming from those outside of the financial technology industry. And then you also have a situation where it isn't a, a huge priority uh, outside of, you know, some pretty prominent members like Congressman McHenry, who's very concerned about the capital markets and uh, the potential impact on liquidity and, and on financial innovation. And, and some others who have seen direct impacts, like Sen- like uh, Congressman Meeks in New York, you know, whose constituents are directly impacted by lack of credit. You don't you don't see you haven't seen uh, you know people feeling like there's a huge urgent need to to correct it. Right, right. Okay. So what about the the fintech charter, which you know. Two years ago, I think if we if we chatted two years ago, we would have thought, well, by September 2019, there'll be several companies that'll have been approved for a fintech charter, and now we have zero, and there's lawsuits, you know, that are that are working their yep. way through. I mean, what is the is the fintech charter dead? So I wouldn't go as far as to say it's dead. Uh, it certainly is tied down in litigation with New York. Uh, it's going to be a long road for it to rebound, but that's an example of something where. You know, I I would say we would have considered our work on defending the need for national options for uh, companies to become special purpose banks if they chose 
uh, without taking deposits, that that was an area where, you know, initially there was quite a bit of resistance. You'll probably remember that in 20, late 2016, a number of members of the House sent a letter to uh, then Comptroller Tom Curry and said, mm-hmm. stop, work on the ch- stop working on the charter. We're concerned about this, that it could be, you know, you know, created an unfair playing field for banks or that it could create too much regulation on fintech companies. So there was sort of a lot of opposition initially, and yet I think we played a pretty big role in helping, you know, uh, create an outside voice and, and good rational reasons why it, it makes a lot of sense. And it, it made it through the process despite the change in from Democratic nominees to Republican nominees and, you know, became very much a part of the current OCC's agenda. And unfortunately, you know, you just see a bad court decision that, that uh, permits, you know, one one state to uh, continue to delay it. So that's the that's the dynamic. I think You've seen it's not just a fintech charter that's been a lot slower than anyone would have expected, but Square's uh, ILC application. Certainly, uh, you haven't seen uh, you know a, a final decision there that would suggest that the window to becoming an industrial bank for a financial technology company is is open either. And so, mm-hmm. some of that is probably due to the resistance of the traditional banking organizations, and some of it is due to the government still it's hard to believe peter because i know you were testifying you know up in capitol hill five to six or seven years ago but the government is still in the early early days of early innings from their standpoint of of wrestling with uh how to properly regulate and you know what the proper framework is for dealing with uh these kind of companies Mm -hmm. um these are these organizations and institutions are you know in many cases hundreds of years old (laughs) So they they don't uh, necessarily move uh, with the speed that you know a fintech startup company would would think they might. But you know the good side of that is they also haven't decided. I think that that this innovation is something that they want to suppress. So mm-hmm. we've been sort of in a situation where a lot of these regulators that have the authority to move forward on charters or have the authority to move forward to give more certainty to. Partic- market participants using alternative, you know, um, data or AI or machine learning techniques, they, they also haven't come out with negative, you know, stop what you're doing instructions. Right, right. Yep. And that's, and that's a, frankly, Peter, sorry, you know, just to say that's one of the biggest goals of the Trade Association is to ensure that government and policy doesn't become a roadblock to the positive development of an industry. Sure. And so right now I think it's fair to say that you know we're not necessarily getting a, a ton of, you know, speedy highways built for us, but we're also not getting big giant roadblocks put right. in our way. Right. Yeah. So then you know we're, we're recording this um, just after Labor Day and Congress is still on recess as we're recording this, but they are coming back next week and when this is recorded then when this will be published that will be back but I'm, I'm curious about you know you've you obviously had a, a few weeks uh, without uh, without much happening uh, on the congressional side but so what are your priorities now and now that sort of Congress will be back and you'll be talking with lawmakers what what are your priorities uh, for the next uh, you know few months here uh, so this fall, Peter, uh, we are going to be quite active working uh, up in Congress. Obviously, uh, they return to session with the regulators. And I think the regulators really have the the potential to 
act on uh, Madden and True Lender, either uh, via weighing in in a court case or or with a regulation. And then you're going to see us uh, file a letter on the SEC's uh, uh, really looking to you know re- redo the accredited investor definition and tackle uh, the way private offerings um, work in the United States. Obviously, that market has far outstripped the IPO market and companies are staying private longer and ordinary investors are really shut out from those opportunities. And that has a real impact in marketplace lending as well. Uh, Many MLA members have decided not to go the route that uh, Lending Club and Prosper were able to go uh, early in the days of the industry in, in creating an offering for uh, ordinary retail investors to participate in in the loans, and so how the SEC ultimately shakes out in in trying to open up new opportunities uh, is going to be very important to our industry. And so we'll um, we'll file a comment letter and and follow up with the SEC there, uh, and then we have a day of advocacy planned on the issues uh, related to uh, student loan uh, refinancing and repayment benefits. So if you think about it today. Unfortunately, if employers offer uh, a student loan repayment a benefit, that's not a benefit that comes without a uh, tax burden. So it's just like getting additional income. And uh, that creates a situation at the end of the year where uh, an employee is faced with a tax, a tax hit for money they didn't see since the money went to, to help pay off a student loan. And so that's, a, that's an issue where there's bipartisan legislation and I think a, a really decent chance that uh, Congress may, may act. So the, those are some of the issues that, that we're working on uh, in addition to just continuing to do the basic um, work that, that we do regularly of you know, following up with members of Congress on uh, you know, their, their interest in our issues, the task forces on financial technology and, and artificial intelligence are, are an example of, of an area where there are some inquiries that, that are you know, both potentially very helpful to us, but also where we need to make sure that there's a good, accurate information being given. And, uh, and finally, there's you know, just the, the good blocking and tackling that comes with all the uh, media scrutiny and so forth as, as the industry continues to evolve and change. Right. So, so just going back to the, the the House Task Force on Financial Technology, which you know it, it obviously is a uh, a very key key piece that the whole industry is is paying attention to. What do you expect? Well, I guess or how how many hearings will they have, and what will be the output of this task force? Will it be a report with recommendations, and will, will this, is this going to leak into the next Congress? I mean, is this something that something they have to wrap up in the next twelve months? I mean, what? Just tell us a little bit more about it. Yeah, so I, there are actually two. There's Tax Force on Financial Technology, and then you know one on specifically on AI, and, right. and I think that that they'll they'll do hearings on a, a cadence that's probably monthly to maybe maybe not quite that often. Obviously, with some of the breaks that Congress gets to to get home and campaign, but they'll they'll certainly do a number of hearings and. They'll simultaneously be taking their findings and uh, putting together, I'm sure, a lengthy report that uh, will include recommendations. The task forces don't have the legislative power, so they're not going to. You're not going to see a task force, you know, markup of a bill. Uh, that would fall to the committee that uh, Representative Meeks is uh, the chair of. Uh, in our case, 
financial institutions. And so that that's a real, um, you know, important nuance that, that those, you know, that those task forces, they have certainly a lot of ability to generate news uh, in our industry, because that's really where, you know, Washington, um, to the standpoint of financial technology and, and you know, lending, internet-based lending and so forth are, are making news. You're going to read about it in, in terms of what the task force is doing. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're going to be proposing negative legislation or positive legislation. It's really going to be a longer-term thing. So they will hand over the report and the recommendations to the full committees, and they'll also, you know, probably there's a chance that these tech, these task forces become, in a future Congress, become an actual subcommittee, which would have legislative, you know, powers. Right. Right. Okay. We're running out of time, but there's a couple of couple more things I really want to get to, and the first is. You know, there's lots of organizations these days beyond the MLA. We've got the, you know, the Online Lending Policy Institute, the Innovative Platform Lending Association, the, the ETA and the, and the ABA, the American Bankers Association. There's all kinds of associations that I'm sure are, uh, you, you're coming across on a regular basis. So how much of, how much do you, you know, do you guys sort of go into bat together and how much is it that, you know, that you really have, you know, you, your agendas are obviously going to be somewhat different, but just tell us a little bit about the interface between the other, these other organizations. Sure. So I think if you, if you look at the banking trades, they, they represent the banks purely, right? So right. they, you know, they will, they will certainly advocate for policies that, you know, they believe will promote innovation, but they're also always going to be worried about a level playing field for banks. And so that to the extent that they are uh, working on issues that we care about, there's going to be alignment for the most part, for instance, reversing the Madden decision. And that that's a great example where all of the organizations you mentioned um, have been supportive. At the same time, there are going to be some nuances and there are going to be some, some differences in approach on different on different issues. So for instance, the APR disclosure and small business lending has been one that has kind of uh, created some some slight uh, divisions between the ETA, the ILPA, and MLA, uh, and certainly the group that you know worked on the Borrow Bill of Rights. So uh, that's an example where, for the most part, there's kind of a growing consensus about how to how to tackle that issue, but that that led to some early splits. You know, OLPI runs a, a terrific event that's coming up in October. We work with them. Uh, many MLA members will appear at, at OLPI, and then ILPA obviously works on the small business issues exclusively. And ETA is largely focused on payments, mm-hmm. but also works on on lending to a certain extent. So we we really have, I think, been able to grow so effectively, include not just the larger, bigger participants, but you know, there are companies that are in MLA like Lending Point and others that are now getting ranked in some of the fastest growing companies in in the country. And so that's very exciting because yes, you have the some of the ones that were at the forefront of of building this industry starting it and are still the largest by overall volume, but you also have smaller fast growing companies that have really um, you know, come to bring a lot of innovation and and change in practices that are are positive as well. Right in our group. And so we can, we've, I think we've been able to grow because we haven't tried to get, you know, focused on payments or blockchain or, or, or digital currencies or we've been really very, very laser focused on, on the environment that will best support these new digital lenders. Mm -hmm. And that includes issues, you know, bank charters, it includes issues like risk retention and securitization. It includes certainly uh, the issues around the bank partnership model and so forth. 
Right. Okay. So, so last question has a, is is about a new initiative you guys have started, and that's this is the the MLA PAC, the Political Action, I think so, Political Action Committee, I believe, right? And yep. so, tell us, you know, this is it's, it's a brand new initiative. Um, what why form the MLA PAC, and and what are you going to what are you trying to achieve with that? Sure. So we. I think the goal of any PAC is to support the you know candidates for office at the federal level that really uh, take a, a view towards innovation and towards helping consumers, creating uh, better options and a sound uh, approach to uh, regulation, and and being able to support them in a different way uh, than simply going in and you know, meeting with their policy staffers in Washington or with their home state directors. So uh, it certainly is a different type of interaction that you that you have when you are seated around a table, uh, potentially with other industries uh, such as the banks, who are have very, very large packs and are constantly having an opportunity to have those discussions in a one-on-one or a group setting. And so I think it's going to create some new opportunities for the association, for the industry. And it is all very transparent. Uh, these these organizations have been around for a long time. They're well-regulated. They're completely funded by voluntary donations from individuals. So they're not they're not funded by corporations. Um, they, it's individual people who work at the member companies of the MLA who say, I really like the policy positions that uh, MLA espouses, and I uh, have been following this very closely, and I really like the work that a certain member of Congress uh, has done, whether it be something specific to marketplace lending or just something very general. So you, there's no, no certainly requirement that we um, support uh, candidates that are only particularly focused on, on fintech or AI or whatever. We're going we're gonna to look broadly, and we're certainly going to be bipartisan. I expect that our donations will be almost certainly equal or a goal it will be equal across both parties. And it'll really be an opportunity, I think, to foster more dialogue and potentially more focus on, on what matters in the growing market of marketplace online lending. Okay. Well, good, well, good luck with that. It's certainly a new era for the industry. And uh, that's, that we've run out of time, I'm afraid, Matt, uh, but I yeah. really appreciate you coming yeah, well, on the show today. No problem, Peter, and we can uh, tackle uh, some of the other things that you know are happening. Certainly, the SEC and the uh, revisiting the accredited investor yep. uh, definition and private offerings. Um, there's certainly a lot we're working on with uh, debt-free, tax-free, and the student-let loan uh, market. So, if we can have another bite at the apple, I'll certainly <laughs> be glad to come on, come on, and, and tackle that. Uh, we'll do that. We'll do that again. Okay. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate your time. Terrific. Take See care. Ya. You know, I look back at the at the 10 years that I've been involved in this industry, or almost 10 years, I guess, and how it's changed. And I feel like you know, we really are a professional industry now. The online lending space, the marketplace lending space, 
is far more professional than it ever has been. And a lot of that is due to, uh, I think, having a, a strong and vibrant trade association. And that's what Nat has been able to build over the last three years. And obviously, we're, we're nowhere near finished, but uh, it's a great sort of platform for us to, you know, to really get credibility as an industry in Washington. You know, it's one thing for a, you know, for just for a company to engage. It's another thing for an association to engage with lawmakers and, and an association that really has uh, you know, really, I think in many ways it is boxing above its weight. Really, you know, it's still a very small organisation, but has uh, already had some major achievements. And I think a lot of that has to do with Nat's leadership and how they've been able to. He's been able to bring together a disparate kind of uh, array of, uh, of voices and bring them all into into a common purpose. And I think it's been a it's been fun to watch. It's been I'm sure it's been a huge amount of work on his part, but where we are we are very well positioned now for the future. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. I very much appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye. Today's episode was sponsored by Lendit Fintech USA, the world's largest fintech event dedicated to lending and digital banking. It's happening on May 13th and 14th, 2020 at the Javits Center in New York. Lending and banking are converging, and Lendit Fintech immerses you in the most important trends of the day. Meet the people who matter, learn from the experts, and get business done. Lendit Fintech, lending and banking connected. Go to lendit.com slash USA to register.